This is the John Oakley Show podcast. We have to be here to stand up and say that kind of stigmatization is wrong. It is ill-founded and in fact could lead to a situation where we are less safe because it spreads misinformation at a time when people are in more need than ever of real information and real facts. That was John Tory, along with uh, several councillors and members of the Chinese-Canadian community earlier today speaking to the issue of the fear surrounding the coronavirus and uh, all the unknowns which have led people to maybe not frequent as much as they would Chinese-Canadian establishments. Councillor Cressy mentioning as much in his uh, riding down there uh, in Spadina. He's saying Chinatown is uh, reeling from all of this. So we'll pick that up as our first point of departure with our panel and topics worthy of discussion for Pete Seville, dial pound 3636. Ernie Eves, a former Premier of Ontario in the House. How's Ernie? I'm great. How are you, John? Likewise, thank you. John Turley, you risk management consultant specializing in capital markets with extensive experience on Bay and Wall Streets. John, how do? Very well, thank you. Good. And Dan Moulton. Vice President, Government Relations at Crestview Strategy. Liberal strategist and media commentator, congrats on the appointment. <laughs> Thanks, John. How are you? That's all right. Uh, they, a kick up in salary, I'm guessing. Oh, <laughs> uh, you know. Your man cannot live on titles alone. <laughs> <laughs> all right, so how about it, though? I'm going to ask you here, Mr. Vice President, uh, when it comes to this whole thing surrounding the coronavirus, yep. uh, the allegations are that the Chinese-Canadian community is facing some kind of a backlash just in general, and uh, it's rooted in racism and xenophobia. Is it, or is it just the great unknown and the fear that ensues almost as a natural human impulse? It seems like, if that's true, if, if the Chinese community is uh, facing a lack of business or well, uh, commerce, said it. We have uh, yeah, I, I no mean, reason uh, to doubt him. I, I haven't, I haven't seen it myself. But if it's true, then I, I think it's it's fueled by stupidity more than anything else. I think that's a uh, a, a really uh, this whole thing, this whole conversation, this whole conversation around the coronavirus is just gone out of control. I mean, you look at the way people are acting, the way we're talking about it in the media, we're talking about it in public, people wearing these masks. I mean, more people died of the flu, the common annual flu this past year than, than have died of this. And so, like, you know, give me a break. Certainly more people have been affected by it here. I think this is way out of control. I think there's a lot of hysteria uh, and there's a lot of stupidity. Uh, is there racism involved in it? I think that's fair to question. Uh, I, I think that the media narrative around this in a lot of cases seems to be really fixated on the Chinese question, uh, probably to a, a, an extent that's not necessary. But I also think there's just mostly hysteria and stupidity at play here. All right. Well, John, we'll give you a, a run up this hill, whether or not. How do you see it, first of all? Well, I mean, I, I look at it more from an international angle. I mean, the WHO was very clear today that uh, the world has to take this seriously. Uh, we see the Chinese government has uh, locked down large parts of their country. Uh, the question is, why would they do that? Uh, I would say that there's great anger in China itself, it seems, about how uh, Beijing uh, managed the outbreak of this disease. Uh, I, I see that Air Canada is stopping flights to uh, to China. Uh, you know, the, the, the message we're getting globally is that uh, the epicenter obviously is in, uh, you know, uh, China. And uh, we have to get this under control there. And certainly, uh, you know, here in Canada, we have to take appropriate measures, which I think we've been doing, uh, no doubt. Uh, and as Dan was saying, there is a bit of um, hysteria. Uh, the, the piece I see is like the people wearing the masks. Uh, you know, you're seeing more and more of this. And uh, from all the officials I've heard speaking on this, wearing the mask doesn't help right. you at all. But the funny part is, is if you watch um, the officials in, in China, 
they're all wearing masks. And then they take them down to talk to the mic and then they put them back up. Uh, so, like, there might be a lot of TV fueling a lot of this, a lot of streaming, a lot of, you know, social media fueling this. And uh, to an extent, which we didn't have with SARS. So, you know, it's... it's um, it might be stoking the fears in, in a way that we haven't seen before. But you're a market guy, and the markets hate uncertainty, and that's certainly surrounding this, and that's reflected in the markets. Isn't well, the markets uh, dropped 500 points, but then everyone started making a lot of money, and it all went back up. Oh. Uh, Apple made a lot of money. <laughs> Microsoft made a lot mm. of money. Tesla has made a huge amount of money. Mm. I mean, they're all beating their estimates, and the market's just, you know, uh, rambling forward. Well, they reported today, so that's the latest. How about you, Ernie? I mean, is the panic justified, uh, or is it overblown? Well, I think a lot. I think you know, Dan made the point. I think a lot of this is ignorance on the part of the public, and unfortunately, the media sort of exaggerates what's going on. Not to say that you know people don't have to be aware, and they should be aware, and they should take appropriate precautions. But there's, I don't believe there are that many people that have come to Canada that have been to Wuhan or. You know, Wuhan. Yes, yeah. Wuhan. And I think you have to put it in its proper perspective. I think Dan was right talking about uh, the flu, and John was right when he talked about the SARS epidemic, which I had some experience with, unfortunately. Um, in, but, what, in what regard? But, well, we have to... Uh, what regard I happen to be the premier. I was going to say, well, yeah, no. some experience. <laughs> I was trying to get the timeline because it was 2003. Right. And I just remember the government so changed now over. So you know, we're 17 years later. I think we're much better prepared for these types of challenges in our healthcare system than we were then, and rightly so. And I think that uh, we've approached it in a very reasonable and a, an appropriate manner, both federally and, and provincially. So I think everybody should just settle down a little bit and do what uh, scientific evidence and medical knowledge tells us we should be doing. But you don't blame these people who have gone to Global Affairs Canada and want to get spirited out of China, right? No, I don't blame them. I mean, hey, it's, uh, I think, virtually every other Western country that I've heard of where the expats want to come home, they've made arrangements to come home. Actually, I think Canada's last one on this bandwagon. I think they, the U.S. had a flight, I believe, yesterday that landed in Alaska, bringing some of their expats home, 235 or something. So do so, you put so, them in so, quarantine, so, so, though? So I think we should do that. I'd have to rely upon the medical experts about whether they should be in quarantine. I suppose where they came from in China, who they had contact with, I think all that's very relevant. Yeah, I, I think we have to be clear about the fact that the entire China is an enormous country, uh, a vast geography, and an enormous population. We're talking about a, a tiny fraction of the number of people who have been infected with this uh, this new virus. Uh, and, and I think the hysteria around China and the hysteria in China is fueling a lot of this international attention to it. I don't think everyone who's yeah. been to China should be quarantined and, 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 and isolated from society just because they seem to have been to that country recently. We're not seeing that scale of outbreak there. We're not seeing that scale of person-to-person -person transmission. And so I think we should trust our healthcare experts. Uh, I think Ernie's absolutely right. The, there's a necessity for sharing information uh, here in this city. Uh, but I also think we, we shouldn't overdo it and, and, and exaggerate the scale of the problem. But I would say that the WHO officials, from what I've read, said that the po folks coming uh, back to places like the United States and Canada and Britain should be quarantined. So, so if they were in the the province, right? They're, they're saying that they're saying there should be quarantine. So, so that that raises an interesting question. So, Canada will be bringing folks back. How will they manage that? So, uh, I think that it, you know what we're going to get into now is a very interesting sort of political management of this scenario, where if, if you have the WHO saying they need to be quarantined, 
uh, are we going to do that? Well, well no, that, I think they, they said that if they had been to Wuhan, the city, uh, or to the, the, the region that that's located in, perhaps they needed to be quarantined. It's, it's, quite, it's quite possible. Uh, the, Not if you were the, in the, Beijing the, three weeks the, ago. The, 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 uh, the news report I read on it did not include that piece of information. Then the question is, uh, do you take it as an article of faith that the Chinese lockdown and quarantine there is managing the crisis, or do we wait till they come home and then we put them in quarantine here? Well, you know, I, I you know, like Dan says, and, and as Ernie has said, I mean, we really do have to rely on our medical officials here, uh, you know, to, and, and to give that advice. Uh, you know, quarantine can can very well be staying at home uh, if you're have if you've been in an area where there was infections, and uh, I don't think anyone would object to that uh, at all. Uh, I also think that, um, you know, we want to obviously be vigilant if people have been in areas that, that, that where the infection has uh, popped up. Can we rely on the Chinese? I have no idea. I mean, during SARS, uh, it's, it, you know, they, they did not, uh, uh, they weren't as forthright as they should have been. Right. But I, I would say that with locking down so much of the country, what you're seeing in China right now is they're trying to not just contain this virus, but contain the economic uh, fallout, right. right? And they want this. I would. My feeling is they want it stopped, and they're doing as much as they possibly can to do it. Well, that was us with SARS too, and I mean, uh, we had to remediate the situation by encouraging people to go out and frequent businesses. Had a big uh, rock and roll show and all the rest. I get it. Let me move to something else, and uh, I got to ask you, John. I'll start with you because uh, you're the Wall and uh, Bay Street guy business. Uh, that BlackRock came out and announced that you know there's seven trillion under management, seven trillion dollars, but they're going to uh, direct it strictly at uh, in a conscientious way away from fossil fuels. And uh, we're seeing this increasingly with equity firms, fund managers, the Canada Pension Board uh, Plan uh, Investment Board, and so on and so forth are are getting away from they're divesting and choosing you know to be very proactive or even progressive. You might say, is that somehow? Uh, playing in hand with a shareholder, increasing shareholder value, or is it betraying that? John, have you heard of marketing? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> All right, it's an so. interesting concept. See, there's people out there that want to hear a certain message. Uh-huh. So you give them that message. Did BlackRock say it was going to get rid of all its other funds? No, no, no. It's creating a fund that is focused on that particular sector because it knows that there's people who are interested in that sector. You know, this is what you do with ETFs. You create all kinds of different ETF products. Today, one just actually went down. Uh, they had to close it. It was one directed toward gender equity. It didn't get enough money. People didn't invest in it. So, you know, when people are creating these financial products, what they're looking to do is tap a market and see if they can raise the funds to do it. And let's not, let's not um, underestimate the big money that's in green energy. Huge amounts of money in green energy. So these are not businesses that are, you know, just being started out and so forth. Uh, you know, we're talking about making serious amounts of money and real cash flow. And, and this has been going on for a long time. So this is nothing new. But what it is, it's about packaging a product that you're selling to a public that is hearing green, 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 green in every newscast. And you want to capitalize on that. How do you see it, Ernie? I mean, is there investor return on investment? Or do you think, as John says, I mean, it's a, a marketing ploy? Or is it that Big companies and investment funds and everything are sort of shifting uh, to, I guess, uh, you know, a new paradigm, a new way of doing business. Well, I think I think it's a little bit of both. I think John's quite right. I, see, I think that big companies see an opportunity here because there are a significant number of investors who want to invest in, in green energy and green projects. So 
why not tap that market by, by, by having a special fund to do it? I don't see anything wrong with that at all. I don't think that this suggests that anybody, that any uh, BlackRock or any other entity that has significant investments in fossil fuels or whatever are going to ditch them all tomorrow morning at 9 o'clock. Well, they are well I think they did say they were going to divest from coal-fired electricity generation, right? I think that was what was one area that they did say that they would make a more uh, aggressive move towards. Well, some of us in Canada have been doing that for uh, a dozen uh, years. I, I absolutely agree. <laughs> Credit to, you, yeah, to but, the leadership but remember, of the, But they're uh, picking a declining market. Like, for sure. It's I, all about, you know, packaging. I mean, who's right. building coal plants anymore? Well, I mean, Other than China other and than India. The President, right. United States, <laughs> the President of the United States of America has spent a lot of time changing championing the uh, importance yeah, of Yeah, but we know that's not going sector. anywhere. No, I haven't seen Donald agree. in any coal mines lately. Uh, <laughs> well, he said uh, coal is coming back to Pennsylvania and western Ohio when? or yeah, eastern well, Ohio. When? Yeah, well, we'll I don't know. No, I think he was talking fall. skull, not coal. <laughs> oh, that's not right. Okay. You, you put a jaw between your chicken gum and you're good to go. Thanks for listening to the John Oakley Show podcast. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe for free at Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and anywhere else you get your on-demand audio.